welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Um, Liz, what was your favorite Thanksgiving? My favorite Thanksgiving was, it says, might be a little bit of a cheat, but it's kind of an amalgam of like a few Thanksgivings because there was a period in our life where, well, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and we never had um, local family. I had my parents and my brothers, my two brothers. Um, but other than that, all of our family, extended family, has always lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and Michigan. And so we never grew up uh, having many holidays with families. Every now and then we would go to Louisville for Christmas, but for Thanksgiving stuff, we um, never did. And then we got to be good friends with a family down the road from us um, named the Sedembrinis. They're still good friends of ours today. Um they also had three kids and also had no local family and they went to the same church that we did growing up and so there was like probably a season of like i don't know at least five years when all of us were cycling through high school like maybe the youngest were still in middle school but like middle school and high school for all six of us we're all more or less the same age and they had two boys and a girl and becca the girl is my age and one of my good friends growing up um Anyway, so we would always go over to the Sedembrini's house for Thanksgiving during that season of life. And we would do the normal stuff and eat. But then in the afternoon, the adults would kind of like retire to, I don't know, wherever they retired to. It's like funny and I say, like, I don't actually know what they're doing. Like, I guess they just went off and like drank coffee and talked together because sure. the six of us, the six kids, um, would always go to see a movie, like in the movie theater. Oh, fun. And yeah, we did that for years. That was our Thanksgiving, like whatever the big Thanksgiving release mm. is, um, we would go. And it's actually like a really common thing to go, like movie theaters are packed on Thanksgiving. I don't know if anyone's ever been to a movie theater on Thanksgiving. I didn't know that. Yes. Well, if they're packed, probably a lot of people listening have done that before, but I, I've never done that before. I don't think. Yeah. It is like a very, that's why oh, I, I imagine that's why so many big movies come out like release on Thanksgiving day or like around Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, so that was like our tradition we would, and it, the Sedembrinis were like, I don't know, maybe less than 10 road, like less than 10 streets down from us. So we'd drive the three minutes to their house eat and do like the normal stuff and then in the afternoon all six of us would pile into one of our like whoever <laughs> was the oldest like our car and we'd yeah. go see a movie and then that was like the entire day and it was oh, so much fun. fun yeah we did that for years and years and um yeah and now my family like I uh we have Thanksgiving at my house now my mom and my brother come but um and we I actually do. I have local family now for the first time in a really long time. My cousin and her husband and son and um, 
her mom, who's my mom's cousin. It's not worth getting into. It's weird family tree <laughs> stuff. But the point is, I actually have local family in Greenville now, yeah. which I haven't had for my entire life. Hmm. We never yeah. lived. There's one year of our life where we lived in Louisville when I was little, little. But other than that, we never had local family. So we always had great holidays, but we always were doing it with um, friends. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my, I can't think of a specific one, but it's kind of like, it was always the same. So now it's just like mushed into my brain as like yeah. one Thanksgiving that spanned like almost 10 years. years probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, what about I you? What was your favorite? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it's interesting how like some people have like such strong feelings about Thanksgiving. Like some people are yeah. diehard Thanksgiving fans. I am not, not that I dislike Thanksgiving, but I've just, I didn't really have like strong feelings or associations with Thanksgiving growing yeah. up. Um, my one memorable Thanksgiving is my dad, um, because he was a, uh, a cop, he worked for the Los Angeles, um, sheriff's department. And mm. so he often worked Thanksgiving in order to get Christmas off. That okay. was kind of a deal that he was able to do some years and so I remember one year he was working. And so we went with my grandparents to, I think it was like Mimi's cafe or something. Oh yeah. I had French to toast for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> and I, I don't know how old I was probably like 10 or something. And I was just like, this is the best Thanksgiving ever. I'm getting French <laughs> toast. Like I don't even like Turkey. <laughs> right. Oh, that's um, so that was that was kind of fun, but, um, yeah. we did, we sometimes went to, uh, Lake Havasu in Arizona mm -hmm. cause I grew up in California. So we would go to mm -hmm. Lake Havasu where my dad's aunt and uncle were and mm -hmm. Lake Havasu is just gorgeous. And we, I have a lot of fond memories of having very hot Thanksgivings out in Arizona too. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are continuing our series on writing. And so we have come to kind of the stage where you finished your draft. You did it. Mm -hmm. We talked about mining for content. We talked about writing rituals and routines and rhythms. And now we're kind of getting to the point of like, you did it. You finished what you came here to do. So what do you do with it next? And a lot of people assume, oh, I should send it straight to an editor, which as a developmental editor, I don't disagree entirely, but I would say that there is a lot you can learn from editing your own work. So Liz, why do you think people should edit your own work? And you do, you do this often as a ghostwriter, you have to edit your own work. So talk about why you think that's valuable for, for you. Yeah. So yeah, I'll talk about editing from the perspective of someone who absolutely does not consider themselves an editor would never pitch themselves as an editor i probably do a halfway decent job at editing compared to the lay person um just because i write and but i've had to edit myself um you don't no matter what kind of writing you do you never just write it and then send it on its way and not look at it again. And even if you do look at it again, you're not doing what people will just sometimes call proofreading, which is just looking for grammar mistakes. You know, there's a right. lot more to it. So even if you don't want to be an editor or consider yourself an editor, you have to know how to halfway decent edit your own work. Um, so one of the main things is if you are going to work with an editor, whether you're hiring one or you are um, traditionally publishing, 
you can significantly cut down on their work and the time of the whole project if you can turn them in something that's pretty clean already it will make you look really good it will cut down on um again their work which everybody likes if there's one way to endear yourself to an editor or an agency or a publishing house it's to turn in a really clean draft that cuts yes. down on everybody else's work yes make other um, people's lives easier and you will make friends in publishing yes, exactly <laughs> um so you know if you want to develop a reputation as just a pretty clean writer you're gonna have to learn how to clean it up on your own a little bit you'll never you'll you know you will never not need an editor in in our opinion of course we will always sing the praises of it there will always be lots of things you won't see or you won't be able to figure out on your own um but there are plenty that you will and good editors will be able to spot if you've done that second or third um you know read through um it's pretty easy to tell if you really haven't gone over it again um if you give an editor uh a pretty clean draft they will be able to do a better job because they won't be focusing on some of the more the smaller things that are just sort of bugging them getting in their way that it will read cleaner they will be able to get a better view of um the big promise of the book the overall transformation if they're not sort of bogged down by a lot of repetition and grammar mistakes and weird things that pop up somewhere where they shouldn't and you know all of that clouds um the view of the editor and thus the the job they'll be able to do they will be able to do a better job if you give them a really clean version and you know almost every editor will tell you not just because it cuts down on their work that's true but also because you know if you're just like if you're having a little bit of back and forth with an editor about whether something is ready to turn in or not they will almost always tell you that they want you to take it as far as you can possibly take it on your own because then yeah. they will be able to do a better job wouldn't you agree oh yeah a thousand percent i mean there are so many examples like sometimes you know as as a developmental editor i get a manuscript and it is in such bad shape and some of the things that are wrong are so obvious that I'm like, yeah. I know that this author did not look at this again because they, yeah. there's no way that you could have missed like yeah. this really obvious thing. So if, yeah, like, like you said, if you have not done that work, it really shows because you can, you can take it so much further. And then that way your editor doesn't have to waste time, even just getting the manuscript to like a readable place so mm -hmm. that they can edit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you will be like, I have done this before just because of timelines and deadlines and stuff. I have turned in like a 25,000 word segment that I thought was pretty good and still got like halfway decent feedback. But then when I reread it back, like the editor has pointed out in multiple places, like stuff like verb tenses, like you keep like switching verb tenses. Yeah. And I know I am so embarrassed because I know it's glaring. Like if I had read it just one more time, mm -hmm. I would have noticed that. And I didn't. And they know that I didn't because, right. you know, they know 
that I'm like a halfway decent writer and anybody, right. you know, could have picked that up. And then it just like, it just becomes obvious. Like you just didn't, you didn't spend the time, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't want that to, be, I mean, it happens to everybody. So no shame. Yeah. We all learn from our mistakes, but you will have, a, you'll be a more attractive partner to editors and agents. You will have a better reputation um, and you will improve your own skills as a writer, perhaps most importantly, if you be able, if you can go back and read what you've written with a critical eye, um, looking for more than just, you know, grammar and if you like it or not. So, yeah. yeah. So when you are ready to start editing, I think the first thing we have to say is take a break. And that's, you know, kind of your, your last point is being able to view your writing with a fresh eye, with any amount of, you know, uh, objectivity, you have to have a break from it because when you've been writing, as many of, you know, you are so close to the words on the page that you lose perspective and you can't, you can't see all the problems. So the first step to editing your own work is taking a break. And we say that like very seriously, take at least like a couple weeks off and just give your eyeballs time to rest. <laughs> um, it makes a world of difference. And then we recommend editing when you do come back to it, edit in three phases. So the first phase we call making it work. And this is really about that high level perspective. We've talked a lot on this podcast about book mapping and transformation and we believe in those. And this is the time to kind of come back to your book plan, your book map and say, did I accomplish what I was trying to accomplish? Let me go back to my book proposal. Let me go back to whatever plan that I've made, my outline, my book map, whatever, and ask myself, did it, did I do it? Does it still hold true? Am I accomplishing the transformation that I wanted to accomplish? And is it going to read that way to the reader? Hopefully you did all that work, right? To begin with, hopefully you have a book map. Hopefully you know exactly what transformation you're trying to accomplish for the reader. And hopefully this will be an easy yes for you. But sometimes, you know, life happens, creativity happens, and we get a little bit off track. So now is the time to reread your work. Do not worry about the small stuff. Like don't get distracted by the commas and the, you know, the spelling mistakes and stuff like that's easy stuff. And there's no point in fixing that stuff. If you've got bigger things to fix, that's the most important thing here is we're trying to be efficient with our editing. So you pay attention to the big stuff because you don't want to waste time on things that might not matter in the long run anyway. So you're looking at that transformation, uh, you know, even go back and like, try to summarize it again, like write a new description for your book based on what is actually now in the book. <laughs> what, you know, to make a plan is one thing, to execute the plan is another thing, but then to market the book, you're going to have to go back and say, okay, what, what is this doing? What is, what is the goal here? Um, yeah. What else in, in making it work, Liz, would you recommend? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically it. It's just like, if you're building a structure is it does it hold up you know yeah. is this like just the bones of it you know like that's something that like 
the words that we'll use a lot where it's like, just are the bones there? Like, does yeah. it start in the right place? Does it end in the right place? Do you hit all the major notes you need to in between? You know, is the building standing? I don't care if it's pretty, if it's got paint on it. I don't even care, you know, like if it's got whatever floors to it, but yeah. is it up? You know, like, you know, you and I have talked before a little bit about sometimes editors, when you say to an editor, if you're talking about if a book, just where a book is at and you say, it's work like it well it works you know mm -hmm. what the basic basic meaning of that the bottom line is yeah like you said it makes good on the premise it yeah. does what it needs to do i'm not saying all the sentences are pretty i'm not saying there's not repetition and maybe you can cut some paragraphs or whatever but does it work yeah and you know if one of the biggest flashing red signs that they're you know that you can hear is when someone says like it's just it doesn't work it's not working yeah. And that means you've got a real high level problem of it's not executing on the on the promise. It's not, you know, right. Um, yeah. Doing what it's you're not about delivering to do. some kind of transformation. Exactly. Um, yeah. Our friend Jeff Goins, uh, he talks about how sometimes authors break their books mm -hmm. and how that mm -hmm. when he says that, what he means is sometimes in the process of writing, you feel kind of led in a different direction. And so you start going down a different road and you realize, oh shoot, I'm no longer accomplishing mm -hmm. this transformation. I'm no longer making progress towards the goal of this book. And that's when it's broken and it needs to be fixed. Um, so yep. that is the first phase is, you know, just stay focused on the high level and that transformation. Phase yep. two, that is making it right. What does that entail? Yeah. So make it right. We're going to go back through now, more or less. I mean, obviously in book writing, it's not a perfect start to finish process. You're going to pack back up and restart and jump around. But in general, these phases we're, we're talking about like a top to bottom pass. Um, and you might, you know, even want to like take pauses in between each one of these phases, but um, make it right. Um, so you're going to start back at the top, you've got a book that works. Um, but you're going to go this, this level is what we would consider line editing. I know if that's a little bit industry speak, but basically, um, it's a step above. Um, like we're not just proofreading for grammar and stuff. You're reading the sentences, um, and making the information and the content and the voice, right? So you yes. aren't quite as high level as you were before, you know that all of the big blocks are there. Um, <clears throat> but you're going back and you're reading. Um, you know, if you need to pull in more detail somewhere, if you need to add in some data to back it up a claim that you made. Um, yeah. yeah, have you do, or do you realize you use um, you said something that you just said in the paragraph before, you know, maybe cut that sentence or use a thesaurus and change the word, you know? Um, so we're, um, doing that. Um, you're reading for, um, engagement. Is it interesting? Mm -hmm. Does it feel like you're sort of starting to slow down, um, pacing, you know, if there's any, um, if it starts to sort of like lag a little bit, um, yeah. Content. We talked about that. Is it true and correct? Um, are you backing up your claims? 
Um, and then another thing that you examine during the make it right phase is voice. Um, does it sound like you? Do you like the language that you're using? Um, have you struck the right tone with readers? Um, you know, obviously, if you're ghosting, you are thinking about the person, you know, your client, if you if it sounds like them, if they would say this. Um, so yeah, you're not, um, you're not necessarily like when you read in the make it or when you yeah, when you edit in the make it work phase, you're thinking in part three, you still have to kind of keep in mind what went on in part one, right? You're keeping the other parts in mind, you're keeping in context the whole book and where you are in the book. And when you're in Make It Right, you can let a little bit of that go. You're focused more in on paragraph, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence. Um, yeah, what else? Yeah, I think the that voice piece is the is the piece that people find the most like abstract. Uh-huh. Um, and we could probably do an entire episode on voice, but I love what Rochelle Gardner says. She says, your writer's voice is the expression of you on the page. And I think what we're saying here is, you know, you're, you're analyzing what you say to, to, to identify how does it make your reader feel? How is this going to come across to your reader? So you do have to kind of at this page, at this stage, put yourself in the reader's shoes and say, how would someone else interpret what I'm saying? How else could they interpret what I'm saying? Am I saying everything the way I want it to say? Does it have the humor that I'm trying to convey? Does it have the right point of view? Uh, what's the emotional kind of vibes? You know, it's it's hard to describe voice because it is ephemeral in some ways, but it's really important too. I mean, voice is what makes or breaks so many nonfiction books like memoir, especially. You hear people talk about like, oh, I just love this person's voice. What do they mean when they say that? They mean they love the words that this author chooses. They love the rhythm of their sentences. They love, mm -hmm. you know, the the tone and the emotion that it evokes in them. Yeah. And that is something that you can analyze at this stage. And I think is one of the most important parts here. Okay, so phase three, make it pretty. <laughs> Although I told Ariel right before we got on that for some reason... I always, in my own head, like I always say, make it sing. So I don't know. Maybe those are like yeah. interchangeable. Make it pretty, make it sing. Okay, go ahead. I like that too. This is the, you know, polishing up. This is the copy editing, if you know kind of what that entails. But here we're talking about, okay, let's fix the spelling errors. Let's fix the grammar stuff. Let's make our editor's lives a little bit easier. Let's eliminate those double spaces after periods. You don't need them. That's one of my favorite things to fix is just like, get those out of there. <laughs> this, a lot of this is like the easy stuff and the distracting stuff. So what's hard about doing this process is saving this stuff for last. But again, the reason you save this stuff for last is because if you've been making major changes to your manuscript in the editing phase, there's no point in fixing a period if you're going to delete that sentence. There's no point in fixing the spelling error if you're going to be moving that, you know, somewhere else and you're going to yeah. rewrite the whole sentence anyway. Yep. So you save this stuff for last and that's really hard, 
but it's really important because it saves you a lot of time and headache and annoyances. The nice thing about this phase too is that it's the easiest because you can use so many, like there are so many great tools out there. You've got Grammarly, you've got ChatGPT. You can put a sentence into ChatGPT and say, hey, I, I feel like something is wrong here. Can you fix this? And ChatGPT will offer you some other ways to word that sentence that might be better, that might, you know, say what you're trying to say. And that it's definitely going to catch all of the, you know, the nitty gritty stuff like grammar and spelling and syntax. Um, so here we recommend lean into your AI tools mm -hmm. and let a computer do the work for you because you do not need to waste your brain space doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Microsoft Word and Google, Google Docs will tell you, hey, this thing is spelled wrong and it'll, you don't even have to worry about how to spell it. You just click on, you click on the little red squiggly, squiggly lines and it gives you the word and you just click on it. So it's really easy. This stage is just making it pretty, polishing up you know, everything and making sure that you don't have kind of those just embarrassing, really obvious mistakes that it's like we said earlier, you know, obviously if you had read it, you would have caught this thing. Well, let's make sure that you catch it. So those are the three phases. I think you can go through them pretty quickly. I mean, Liz, how, how long do you think it takes you to like edit a piece of writing? Um, like let's say you're turning in 25,000 words how mm -hmm. long do you think it would take you to like edit that kind of looking at these three phases? Um, yeah. Okay. So let's say the draft, like the words are on the page already. I mean, yeah. I could pretty easily, like without breaking too much of a sweat, I could do like a phase a day, you know, yeah. like I think I could do, you know, cause reading 25,000 words, I know it sometimes sounds like a lot, but it's really not, you know, like you can, I know you're, you're not just reading it. You're obviously editing, but you could go through it. My point is you could go through it in a day. So you could do, you know, a day for each phase. So, I mean, under a week, you could do all yeah. three in a week. And that's a 25,000 words, depending on what kind of book you're writing. I mean, yeah. might be the whole book, if it's a short book, you know? Yeah. And it, it does depend too on how much planning work you did from the outset. So if yeah. you, let's say you're writing your memoir and you just started spouting words on the page, which is fine. Some people do that. Sometimes that needs to happen first. And yeah. now you're kind of coming back to impose a structure, then it's going to take you a lot longer. Yes. That's a good point because you could reach, reach a huge snag in the make it work phase. If you're yes. like doing a kind of dev editing yourself and you hit a big snag and make it work and you might have weeks worth of work ahead of you. But yes. if you're confident in your mapping, and you know you more or less got that part right and you're not trying to restructure whole chapters or the entire book then yeah hopefully uh hopefully you could do that much faster but yeah you're right you could get get hung up in phase one that could you know sometimes you're reading and you realize you've got a big hole or all of a sudden mm -hmm. something just hits you and you're like and this doesn't work yeah yep Sometimes yeah. you got to go back to the drawing board and figure mm -hmm. out that transformation again. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn more about this process, though, we actually did a masterclass on this with our friend Mara Eller. So mm -hmm. you can learn more about that. And we show examples and we kind of go into greater detail on these three phases 
Um, and our friend Mara, she offers so much value. She's um, an amazing editor herself. Yeah. He gave us incredible feedback on the Hungry Authors Manuscript. So yeah. she's an editor that we know and trust a lot. Um, and if you want to get, we also have the um, self-editing checklist that was mm -hmm. part of that masterclass too. So if you want to uh, go deeper with this, and if you're like, I am at the phase where I need to edit my own work and I want to do that, definitely check out that masterclass with Mara, um, which is available on our website, hungryauthors.com. When it comes to writing, most people think about the sentence structure and the how do the words sound and you know stringing words along and that's important we all like that but i promise you that the thing that actually makes you look like a pro is this like if you want to stand out no matter what kind of writing you're doing writing books writing articles writing freaking emails even like yeah it doesn't matter how quote pretty you can write and that is a phase so hopefully you can write pretty but even if you can't just learning how to edit yourself well in these phases um this will make you look like a pro if you can do this and an editor can spot it within a few pages within a few chapters of a whole book they know they're in good hands and can tell if you have done this so this is a just a really um I don't want to say easy because it's not necessarily easy, but it is a clear way to set yourself apart if you know how to do this. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hungry Authors or HungryAuthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember, that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Mm -hmm.